After weeks of closure, states are beginning to reopen, and with them, so are movie theaters. What does that mean for the movie industry overall? And what can we expect to see as cinemas go back to business? This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher from the Box Office Studios, which provides editorial content to movie theaters. And with me is Daniel Luria, editorial director of Box Office Pro. Good to see you again, Daniel. Hey, Russ. And we also have this week joining us once again, Sean Robbins, chief analyst at Box Office Pro. Hey, Sean. Hey, Russ. Hey, Daniel. It's great to be back this week. Yeah, yeah. So we're looking at the thing that we've been talking about for weeks now is uh, the point at which businesses can reopen, the point at which movie theaters can reopen. And we've approached this subject a variety of different angles over the last number of episodes and with great degree of uncertainty because there were a lot of X factors and unpredictable things in play. Now that we are getting to the point where things are reopening, there are still a lot of X factors and unpredictable factors at play. So Sean and Daniel, can you give us a sense of how things look right now. Sure. Let me go down a little bit of the global scenario that we're looking at right now, since this has really been a situation that's affected every single cinema in every single country. We are already seeing uh, some cinemas opening in uh, China and in South Korea, specifically two largest cinema chains, CJCGV and Lottie have begun opening their theaters, uh, some of them under restricted capacity. And we will be going over what this restricted capacity concept means for cinemas around the world. But at least in Asia, those countries that were first and most directly affected by the crisis, we're beginning to see them open up. Elsewhere, we have cinemas allowed to reopen in Georgia, not too many have. Really no major circuit, as far as we know, has announced a, a reopening. The same case in Tennessee, uh, cinemas are allowed to reopen. We haven't seen much action. Where it is most different is in Texas. Uh, Texas, one of the most important states for U.S. exhibition, which has a great concentration of movie theater circuits coming from that state and a lot of innovation in the industry coming from there, already announcing some circuits reopening bit by bit. Elsewhere, we have reopening dates in countries such as Norway on May 7th to begin reopening cinemas, the Czech Republic on May 11th, and Spain, uh, probably being the most curious example of the bunch, with a potential reopening, and that might change really as early as uh, tomorrow, of May 25th, Spain being one of the countries which is suffering the most right now because of this COVID-19 crisis, stating that they have a time frame of around a May 25th restart for phase one of cinemas reopening. So that's the scenario all over the world. Of course, Texas uh, gives us a good opportunity to see what cinemas in the United States are doing in handling that reopening effort. Okay, so that's the world picture. You mentioned Texas, Daniel. And now I know that a number of cinemas are open in Texas. Which ones reopened and did anybody go? 
We've seen two circuits already open their doors. The, the first two were Evo Entertainment and uh, the other Centicos Entertainment uh, down in Texas do so under 25% capacity measures with a number of different uh, procedures, specifically with social distancing and with uh, staff training to make sure that they take this on a gradual step-by-step basis. Those were the first two that uh, opened their doors. We aren't getting box office numbers because we don't have any new release titles that are coming out into the market. So all of the reports that we're getting at this point really are anecdotal. There's not enough data on movie going or anything that we can compare on this location by location basis. But we do have more cinemas announcing in Texas that they will be opening their doors either in the coming days or weeks. That includes Synergy, Star Cinema Grill, and showbiz cinemas. Uh, They all have dates basically reopening in a gradual basis through May 18th, through the next two weeks from the time of this recording. It's important to note that all of these circuits that we mention have a expanded menu capacity, meaning they have a dine-in possibilities within their buildings. And all of them, with the exception of Star Cinema Grill, are what we call in the industry family entertainment centers. That means they are very large campuses that not only include movie theaters, but also include bowling or uh, laser tag in some situations and arcade games and so on. So these are spaces that are quite large. They aren't a, a confined movie theater in a highly dense setting like in New York City or a Chicago. They have a little bit more space to work with And they are really taking this on a day-by-day basis, being the first in the country to take learning lessons from this and communicate them to the rest of the industry. That's kind of interesting to me because, you know, a movie theater, you, if you institute, you know, seat distancing and things like that, uh, some rules in the lobby, set up lines for bathrooms and exit procedures. It's conceivable of how you can do social distancing and have some sort of typical operation. You know, a movie theater puts a lot of people in close proximity to one another, but there's ways to maintain a, a spread of dispersal between people. A family entertainment center seems to me a lot more chaotic, especially if you actually have kids in there and running around. So it's uh, kind of striking that those are the first centers that are really reopening right now. Right. As they reopen, it's not going to be at at full capacity across the entire campus. So whereas either their dining rooms are open or their cinemas are open, at least they have that extra space where not every attraction within the center will be open, but it does give them more space to control the flow of people control the flow of uh, traffic and make sure not too many people are congregating. And of course, each of these different circuits have different policies in place uh, on what that return to theaters looks like for the consumer. And we'll be going into detail in that in a bit. Of note is an interesting exception in this list is a circuit, another Texas circuit called Movie House and Eatery, a dine-in circuit that was acquired by Cinepolis in 2019. They remain closed to the public, but they just announced today that they will be opening for reservations to accommodate small groups for private events. Meaning if you want to rent out an auditorium, they will rent it out to you a significantly lower rate than they traditionally would, and will let you accommodate up to 25 people per auditorium 
at that low rate and allow you to either bring in a, a video game set, a video game console, uh, personal DVDs, uh, slideshows. They really want to come in and rather than open for a general audience, make sure that they can understand when they have demand of people going in so they can accommodate their, their staffing needs and training needs and have everything ready on a per appointment, per reservation basis. That's another sort of unique way where cinemas aren't reopening all the way, but that doesn't mean these spaces are going to be completely empty in the coming weeks. That's also an interesting approach given that as I've talked to a couple of single screen independent theaters over the past couple of weeks, one of the big issues that they have consistently raised is the decline in rental business and the fact that rentals can make up a significant portion of their revenue stream. And you're talking about rentals from schools, churches, things for premieres, industry events, all sorts of stuff. So that approach sounds like a way uh, to recoup some of that business while hopefully staying safe and maybe even remind other people that that rental opportunity is out there. Yeah, it's something that's demand-driven. And that's going to be very important as we enter this reopening phase, where we're going to see a lot of theaters open with 25% capacity measures that really might not provide an optimal business condition to return to work. Uh, I'm not sure how many cinemas can operate successfully when they have a 25% cap while still retaining and having their staff there to make sure that all of these cleaning procedures, everything that you need to do between showtimes are still up to par. This way, the movie house model, they know what the demand is before they staff a location. They know who's coming in, they know how many people are coming in, and it's something where they can open their doors in a more controlled way, rather than say, hey, we have an archival title, but we can only see it at 25% capacity and trying to catch up to the demand on that end. And then the other thing that I wonder if you've heard anything about is, you know, we've heard for months now about shortage in personal protective equipment, PPE, and certainly as we go back into these reopening measures, employees will need to have some version of PPE on hand, whether it's masks that don't conform to the N95 standard or, you know, other things along those lines, face shields, what, you know, depending on the circuit, I could imagine a variety of options. Have you heard anything about what the supply chain for that equipment might be like? Every circuit is tackling in their own specific way. And I think it's something that they share with every out-of-home entertainment destination that has to answer these uh, sort of difficult questions, not only in how do you protect your patrons coming in through your doors, but how do you protect your staff? How do you make sure that your, your staff uh, comes in to work confident and safe every single day? So the situation is increasingly looking like there won't be a uniform recipe or uniform guidelines for every cinema to follow down to uh, within specific circuits in different states. Because of course, every different state will have different policies in place where I think these individual companies are going to have to be a little bit flexible in understanding when, where, and how they can open. Okay, so taking all that into consideration, one thing that you have talked about is the idea that theaters are going to be opening at, at most at 50% capacity and a lot probably at 25% capacity. Sean, what can you tell us about what that means for the business end of things? 
Right. I think that's it'll be something that we kind of have to get used to part of that new normal, which is a phrase we're all getting used to hearing a lot. But for theater owners and for box office and for studios, what that will mean is even when we see these archival titles released and once we get to new releases, it's reasonable to expect there will be kind of a wave, multiple waves of, of consumers going back to the movies. So you might see a wide release open to numbers that are far lower than we would used to be, be used to seeing. The upside to that is, theoretically, the theatrical window for those titles could actually last a lot longer as people get more comfortable in going back out to the movies. It's just, it's so hard to predict that. But, you know, you're talking, you know, for example, Tenant right now is theoretically going to be the first major release if nothing changes. And on the downside, 25 to 50 percent capacity under normal circumstances would severely limit your ability to fill auditoriums. But you can probably safely bet that most exhibitors, especially if they're seeing demand in pre-sales, will just give Tenet or whatever movie it ends up being that is the first. They'll just give that movie almost all of its screens, if not every screen in the theater. So technically speaking, demand could still be met. It will just be more spread out. By that model, Sean, let's say you have a 12-screen multiplex. And on a traditional business-as-usual model, you'd give a film like Tenet uh, two, maybe three screens. In this scenario, with 25% capacity, you would stagger the showtime so you wouldn't have too much of a concentration of people coming in and out of each auditorium, but you would hand over all those 12 screens to Tenet those 12 screens at 25% capacity would more or less equal regular capacity under usual circumstances for the new release. Is that along the right lines? Exactly. And I think that's why it'll be important to not overcrowd the market early on with two to three new releases a week as we would normally see. I think at the schedule as is, even if it gets, if it changes at all, it's smart to position one movie one week and then maybe one the next week, one or two a few weeks after that. That way you can still allow for that to happen because if a movie like Tenet or Wonder Woman is still attracting sales after a few weeks of release, theater owners will want to keep that ability to give those movies five or six screens if they have the ability to do that. With theaters looking to program repertory and archival titles, uh, certainly in the weeks prior to Tenet, do you foresee a situation where you've got that 12 screen multiplex with Christopher Nolan's movie on nine or 10 screens and then, you know, whatever, say a Lord of the Rings movie on screen 11 and, you know, a Batman movie on screen 12? I think that would be smart. I mean, it's so tough to predict because we kind of would like to see what the response is to those archival titles in midsummer uh, once theaters do start playing them. But, you know, it's, it also depends on if there are any agreements, con- contracts that have to be honored, which I, I would imagine probably won't be that strict considering the, the need for new releases. But, uh, you know, you could have Lord of the Rings, you'll have your Harry Potters, probably some Marvel movies. Any of the big recent releases from last year uh, would, would you know probably be attractive options. And I think in particular movies that appeal to families and kids, especially since there aren't really any of those on the slate now, even in the back end of summer, there's SpongeBob in mid-August, but there's not that tentpole animated release anymore because Pixar and Disney moved Soul back to Thanksgiving. So those would probably be those kinds of titles that fill out the remaining screens. 
you know, you had minions set for July, so that's obviously gone as well for the time being. Exactly. I think I believe Soul actually is the next major animated release on the schedule as it is, unless you count SpongeBob as kind of a, a half animated movie. So that will be a need out there for families who might be some of the first moviegoers to return because parents are going to be itching to get their kids out of the house as long as it's safe and comfortable to do so. And I can read the trade headlines right now as we start seeing these new releases come out. It's going to be saying in big, bold capital letters, opening weekends for new releases are substantially lower than they were pre-COVID-19. In the world's most obvious way, I think we're all expecting that, where opening weekends, even though the capacity might more or less reflect what a film can earn, Sean, you're not really expecting the opening weekends to measure up the way they used to. Why is that? And does that mean that a regular box office run should also have amended expectations? It does. And I want to apologize briefly. You'll probably hear sounds in the background. There are men on the roof repairing shingles from a storm that came through this weekend. So apologize for that. That might just be John Shell raining down your roof <laughs> with copies of uh, the Trolls PVOD press release. We've been getting a lot of those. No, and I think that's the expectation at this point. We won't see, you know, typically if, again, going back to Tenet, which is the example right now, a Nolan movie would open to 50, maybe 60 million under normal circumstances. It would be hard to expect something like that right now, you know, maybe 30 to 40 million. And that's just that's a very rough kind of guesstimate at this point. We haven't even seen marketing ramp up for it yet, but maybe a title like Wonder Woman coming out in August would probably open still pretty big because that and even a Nolan film have those contingencies of fans that will want to show up immediately. But even in relative terms, a superhero movie probably won't be as front loaded as it normally would be, at least for those first few months, you know, and as long as things can continue getting back to normal with no significant interruptions, possibly by the end of the year, we could start seeing those normal patterns again. But it's just, it's such a it's going to be a Wild West kind of frontier initially in those first few months, I think, in terms of box office expectations. It's taking into account not only consumer demand the way you would for a regular release, but also consumer confidence. The longer we go into this, the better some regions are experiencing or dealing with the crisis. You might see more people willing to go to the theaters, whereas the person that wants to see Wonder Woman 1984 would traditionally see it opening weekend, they might wait until week four or five to see it. That doesn't mean they won't see it at all. Yeah, and that's where it, it's very important to keep that perspective and not um, as an industry, and I think in media in particular, we can't draw any comparisons. We can't even judge an opening weekend like we would be used to doing because there will be no uh, basis for comparison. There will be no historical precedent for anything like this. And it's going to take a few months to really determine what a successful run means again. But I, I think, to your point, the, the expectation really is that instead of uh, a one-month to two-month run for a film, we could see these movies play for a lot longer than usual as that, that demand increases or not increases, but as moviegoers return in a staggered pattern. You're also talking about a reality in which we've had 30 million people file for unemployment. And certainly while going to the movies is probably the most affordable activity for families, you're looking at a situation where people's ability to spend money on extra things, even including going to the movies, might be a little different now than it would normally be. 
Right. And that's a fair point. And I think that will be one of the strengths of movie going as it always has been. It's one of the more affordable options out there. I mean, you can pay hundreds of dollars to take your family out to a, a sporting event, which might not even be an option by the time we're talking about movies being open, because that's a whole other animal as an industry. But taking you know, your kids out to see a, a movie is, is going to be a, a very attractive option. But in general, that's that's a great point to bring up. That will be something to factor in as, as finances are, are going to be impacted for everyone well beyond this recovery process. Okay, so we've got some sense of what the schedule might look like. You know, we've got Tenet at the beginning, it goes into Mulan, and then there's, you know, probably a one movie per week cadence for a little while. We're recording on May 5th, a Tuesday. Yesterday was May 4th, which is has become known as Star Wars Day due to the idea of May the 4th be with you. And yesterday saw the announcement by Lucasfilm that Taika Waititi, who made Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit, would make a new Star Wars movie. There's a whole lot to talk about there that isn't exactly where we're going right now, but it does lead me to wonder, Sean, what you might be able to say about when people might expect to see the sort of new franchise movies coming back to theaters as they would normally be used to. That I think will kind of be determined by how this year's slate pans out, because as it stands right now, we're, we're looking at even before this year, before the pandemic really kind of took effect on the industry, we didn't have as many of those big franchise tent poles as we're kind of used to seeing on the calendar for this year. But the positive side to that is that some of those releases are kind of being crowded into the holiday season. But on the flip side, we're now kind of looking further outward. Okay. Movies like the Batman and Jurassic world were in the middle of filming and the matrix and they had to be shut down. And all of those were planned to open between spring and summer of next year. So while a couple of those have been delayed, a couple haven't really had any announcements yet. It's really tough to say how those will be affected. And of course the big story coming into this year was that there would be no Star Wars, there would be no Avengers. On the the flip side of that coin, though, Marvel is still there. And even though Black Widow has been pushed back six months to November, as long as things stay as they are, that will kickstart about a 12-month period where we'll have four Marvel movies. And that rate really won't slow down once we get into 2022 because they've announced for titles even further down that line. So it's it's not going to be far off. Uh, I, w- I would probably expect Black Widow, especially with its positioning as the first big holiday movie this year, there will be a lot of pent-up demand for that, especially since there hasn't been a gap uh, between Marvel movies as long as there will have been, which will be over about 14, uh, 14 to 15 months by the time that opens. Because it will have been Spider-Man Far From Home right. leading yeah. into Black Widow, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So, Sean, when all is said and done in 2020, how likely is it that Bad Boys for Life ends up being the highest grossing movie of the year? Never say never. Uh, That's my number one rule. But there's a lot of good product coming down the slate that it feels fairly safe to say something, probably multiple some things will will end up passing that. You kind of you have Tenet Mulan, who might be Dark Horse candidates, but Wonder Woman 1984 should be a very big hit, probably one of, if not the biggest of the year. And then you move down the calendar, Black Widow. Of course, it's a Marvel film, so obviously it's a candidate. And I would even look to something like Soul, uh, because that will be the first big new animated movie in a very long time. And 
So that's and it's that's got the Disney Pixar names behind it. Uh, the James Bond, great Daniel Craig's finale, also a lot of hype, a lot of anticipation for that. And uh, something like Top Gun Maverick, I, I think, could be a huge hit around Christmas and New Year's. There will be a lot of films to give Bad Boys a run for its money, I think, by the end of the year. When all is said and done, we've been in a situation for the last few years where Disney was reliably set to be the top earner in any given year. Is this year potentially different from that perspective? You know what? It's very possible. I mean, they do still have Soul and Black Widow and Mulan to come. And those that's kind of been Disney's forte is not putting out as many movies as other studios at times. But those few movies pack such a major punch that they can just overwhelm any collection of other films. So that could still happen. I would say Paramount, you know, Top Gun, really, depending on how big it is. They could have a pretty solid year. They also have the trial of the Chicago 7 coming out in November. You know, that could be a big award season candidate, which could play for a long time. It'll be very tough to kind of give any studio an edge at this point, I would say. Sean, from an analysis perspective, looking at the release calendar, now this isn't uh, us reporting a change, an official change from a studio, but from your perspective, what movie do you think needs to change dates that's coming out post-Tenet? What do you expect moving in the schedule in order to see better returns? I think there are a few at this point. For the most part, studios have really responded really well in making their changes, but the ones that stand out to me right now, probably the biggest one is The Conjuring 3, which had been dated for the week after Labor Day in September a long time ago. At some point last year is when Warner announced that. Uh, now A Quiet Place Part 2 is opening one week before that on Labor Day weekend. So in being a film that's complete and ready to go and is already screened for critics, A Quiet Place 2 is going to keep that date if it's able to. Whereas Conjuring 3 may not even be finished in production yet. We don't really know that for sure. But regardless, even if it were that's just really not an advantageous window for Warner to to open that that film in. But it's still a sequel with franchise appeal and a lot of fans. So that could be something that maybe gets moved to November or December, potentially, or maybe just even into early next year. I think looking at what's left on the calendar at this point, something like Godzilla versus Kong, I would not expect that to stay where it's at in the middle of November, which is also in the middle of a Marvel movie and James Bond Again, we don't even know if production's finished on that. And again, even if it were, that's just not a strategically uh, great spot to open that film, especially given the performance of, of the last Godzilla film last year. So that's, that's probably one we can expect to get moved into next year at some point. My most important question here, Sean, it's something I've been wondering for years. What do you put money on as coming out first? Avatar 2 or New Mutants? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> you know what? I will say New Mutants. I just don't know if it'll be theatrically. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that 2027 slate of those two titles uh, when we finally get to see them. Yeah. And I think the other film I neglected to mention is Dune, which is such a wild car up in the air at the moment. But it's coming out right before Top Gun and right after James Bond. And that's a, that's just, that's a major production with a lot on the line and a lot of potential though. So that that's probably one I could also see being moved. We've talked about Dune here before. Some of you listeners may remember. And honestly, I'm surprised that Warner Brothers hasn't moved that movie already. Not only have they not moved it, they recently came out with 
first batches of official stills, things like that, that very much suggested the December date was still in place. So they seem to be working under the the pretty strong feeling that as things are right now, it's it's not going to move. That's a fair point. And, you know, hopefully, I mean, I'm eager to see it. So on a personal level, I would love to see it come out around the same time. And if all those movies can succeed at, you know, opening around each other, that would be great to see for the industry. The other aspect in the back of my head right now when looking at these calendar is that some of these titles might not have moved yet because those studios want to hold on to those dates just in case they need that uh, they need to plant that flag for another movie. I mean, I, and it, as much as it isn't fun to talk about, we do kind of have to just prepare for the possibility that Tenet is not the first movie to open and that it could get delayed. We don't know, but it's it's only a little over two months away now. So that's something we probably would know soon. And that being a Warner Brothers film as well, as alongside Dune, that's where the, it becomes a jigsaw puzzle and a lot of speculation kind of takes hold. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't be surprising if some other film from some, uh, some other studio gets delayed and then a, a film scheduled to open earlier than it ends up taking that date. And Dune may or may not be that title. I mean, we just simply don't know. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, you've got Warner Brothers with Warner Brothers with the Christopher Nolan movie, then Wonder Woman, then The Witches, which is still scheduled for October, and you know, The Conjuring in September as well as you mentioned. And it's easy to see some eventuality where a number of those movies simply get shuffled back a date or two. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that uh, that early October spot could actually be very lucrative for somebody at this point. So all of this, you know, I remember this period in time when I was in high school, Crocodile Dundee came out and Crocodile Dundee was in theaters for like six months or something, which has always been one of those things that stuck in my mind as just being unfathomable now. Whatever ends up being the first movie to open, do we see, Sean, do you foresee a scenario where you've got something doing a super extended run in theaters as everybody is slowly opening up and getting used to going back to the movies. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of one of the inevitabilities at this point, it would really be an absolute best case scenario for things to just return to normal from the get go on day one of a new release. And uh, as much as we would all love to see that the upside for exhibitors, I think especially is that those films could play a lot longer and you might see a wonder woman or a quiet place or tenant play through the end of the year, potentially. it's just, it's so hard to predict, but uh, we're kind of at that point where anything's on the table. Well, thank you very much, Sean. We are uh, all going to wait and see with uh, great interest, how things develop over the next couple of months. Absolutely. My pleasure to come back on here and uh, guess along with the rest of everybody else as to what, what's going to happen. And uh, Daniel, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks, Russ. It's great to be back again. And thank you to all of you for listening. Please rate and subscribe to the Box Office Podcast using your preferred listening platform. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Bradley Denham and Caitlin Kehoe and written and narrated by Daniel Luria and Russ Fisher with the help of Sean Robbins this week. We will be back next week to discuss further developments in the industry. And until then... Take care. Bye-bye.